It all started when Herod Antipas saw a woman he just had to have. Now, if you recall, Antipas was one of the sons of Herod the Great, who was granted a portion of his father's kingdom to rule upon Herod's death. Well, at one point, Antipas went to Rome to visit his half-brother Philip. And while he was there, he fell in lust with his brother's wife, Herodias, and they decided to run off together. Well, unfortunately, Herod was already married to the daughter of the king of Nabatea, which was an Arabian kingdom on his southern border. But the new love of his life insisted that he divorce her so that they could get married, and so he did. After all, you just can't help who you fall in love with, right? Well, this did not go over very well with John the Baptist, whose entire ministry was about calling the people of Israel back to righteousness and faithfulness and repentance, including their rulers who were not above the law in Israel. Of course, we're not supposed to be above the law in America either, but, you know. And so John publicly called Herod out for unlawfully divorcing his wife and marrying another man's wife, who was not only his sister-in-law, but also actually his niece. Well, unfortunately, powerful people with huge egos do not usually take too well to being criticized, and so Herod had John thrown into prison. Be very sure when you stand up for God's word, when you refuse to compromise your principles and values, when you speak truth to power in the name of God, do not be surprised when it brings you into conflict with the culture around you. Well, some time went by and eventually Herod's birthday rolled around and he decided to throw a lavish feast, a great banquet to celebrate himself. And everyone who was anyone was there. All the politicians, all the celebrities, all the bloggers. It was the party of the year and nobody wanted to miss it. Well, once everybody was sufficiently drunk, they brought out a huge cake. And out of this cake popped Herodias's teenage daughter, Salome, who danced suggestively and seductively for Herod and all of his lustful guests. And Herod was so moved by her dancing and the wine that he promised to give her anything that she wanted. Well, after consulting with her mother, who still harbored a deep grudge against John the Baptist, she asked for John's head on a platter. And so Herod, who was far more concerned about his own image in front of his guests than doing the right thing, had Herod beheaded. And so the party that had started off as a feast celebrating Herod's life became instead a banquet of death because of Herodias's anger and desire for revenge. Well, when John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and they buried it. And then they all went to find Jesus so they could tell him what had happened. Now remember, 
John was the forerunner of Jesus, the one sent to prepare the way for him. John's the one that baptized him in the Jordan River, launching Jesus's public ministry. John was the the last of the great prophets of Israel and possibly even a mentor to Jesus. But John was also Jesus's cousin, his own flesh and blood. And now John was dead, murdered by a corrupt politician whose drunken lust had led him to sign a deadly blank check that his vindictive wife filled out and gave to her own daughter to cash. Well, when Jesus heard about what had happened, the text tells us that he he got into a boat and went away from there to a deserted place by himself. And when the crowds heard about what happened, they all came looking for Jesus. For everyone, including the disciples, wanted to know what Jesus was going to do. For there was great cultural pressure on Jesus to respond in some way, even with blood. As it says in the Law of Moses, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus was next of kin to John. So everybody would be thinking, what are you going to do about it, Jesus? Your coworker in ministry has been murdered. Your own cousin. How can you proclaim the kingdom of God when the kingdom of Herod murders a prophet of the Lord to satisfy a dancing girl at a drunken party? What are you going to do about it, Jesus? It must have been rather tempting, the thought of taking up the sword and striking back at Herod. Vengeance is always such a seductive temptation. I mean, just the thought of it fuels our anger. It makes us feel strong and not helpless. And Jesus now had an army of 5,000 strong gathered around him, ready to take up arms. Not an insignificant force. Remember, the crowds loved John. And it would have been so easy for him to offer them up as a sacrifice to appease his righteous anger and avenge John's death. But Jesus understood how dangerous and how deadly it is to feed on our anger and to allow it to take control of us. In the words of Frederick Buechner, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations yet to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. This is why Jesus initially went away by himself 
For before being bombarded by all the angry voices tempting him to seek revenge, he first needed to listen to the voice of his father and be fed not by his anger, but by the word of God. He needed to experience the intimacy of his father's love, comforting him in his grief and healing his broken heart. And he needed to be reminded of his mission, for he would deal with the sins of Herod and the sins of every tyrant who would come after him. He would deal with the sins of the Romans and the sins of the Jews. He would deal with the sins done to you and to me and the sins that we have done to others. He would deal with them all on the cross where he would cry out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And as Jesus communed there alone with his Father, a miracle took place. For Jesus' anger over Herod's death was redirected and reprocessed into grace. And so when Jesus returned from shore and saw the crowd that had come searching for him, he had compassion on them for they were like sheep without a shepherd, victims of a culture of violence and vengeance. And rather than commanding them to fight fire with fire, instead he made them lie down in the green pasture beside the still water. And in the presence of his enemies, for Herod's spies would surely be hidden in the crowd watching his every move, Jesus prepared a table before them as he took some bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples to share for everyone to eat. And those five loaves and two fish raneth over with life. Because that is the power of forgiveness. Will Willimon, the former Methodist Bishop of the North Alabama Conference and current professor, Duke Divinity School, witnessed this power on display in a woman that he once met in Belfast, Northern Ireland, a devout Christian who devoted her life to serving the poor of that troubled city. He writes, I only knew that she was a widow and had recently remarried. When, in the course of conversation, I asked her when her husband died, she said, he was murdered ten years ago. Murdered? I asked. Right. I kissed him on the cheek as he left for work one morning with my, our wee daughter at my knees. He got in the car in front of our house and a car pulled up. Two men emerged and one shot him in the face five times. The other one shot at me trying to kill me, but my daughter and I jumped back through into the house and the bullets only shattered the door. And then they sped off. Paramilitaries they were, IRA. My husband was a superintendent at a local jail and he was considered a fair target. That's horrible, I said. It was horrible. 
They shut him up so bad that we were not able to let his dear mother see him before the burial, she said. How were you able to go on? I asked in amazement. Well, right at that moment, as I stood there over his horribly bloody body, I started saying the Lord's Prayer. And I got as far as, forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of others. At that point I said, Lord, you have forgiven so many of my sins that I guess you expect me to forgive others of their sins. I will try to do that. But you'll have to help me every day to not be destroyed by anger every day. And the Lord gave me that wonderful gift. I was able to forgive. I let God be angry with them or punish them or forgive them or whatever the Lord wanted to do with them. I chose to forgive. Those gunmen killed one of the most wonderful men in the world and none of them was ever convicted of the crime. But my anger was no match for God. For God wouldn't let the anger of it all kill me. What are you going to do about it, Jesus? Everyone wanted to know. Well, what he did was take his anger and his grief and his natural desire for revenge and offer it all to his father. And through the power of his father's love, Jesus' anger was reprocessed into grace. For like that widow in Belfast, Jesus turned not inwards in hate, but outwards in mercy towards those in need. As he put on his own feast in a very public response to Herod's banquet of death, only this feast was a banquet of life. When you have been wronged in life, when violence has been done to your feelings or your dreams or your loved ones, the temptation will always be great to hold on to anger and hate and violence and vengeance as the actor Will Smith demonstrated for all of us so well last week at the Oscars. But be very sure, that way only leads to death. For when you hold on to your anger and nurture your hurt, it is your own soul that is being eaten alive. But when you offer it all to Jesus, a miracle can take place when you allow him to deal with it in his own way. 
For while you may be incapable of having the strength to forgive on your own, the crucified one has the power to forgive through you so that the anger of it all might not kill you, but transform you into a vessel of grace. That's what this table is all about. It's a feast of grace where Jesus pours himself out in love as God's response to all of the sin and violence in this world so that we don't have to settle it ourselves. It's also a foretaste of that great banquet to come when all of the forgiven will feast together at the table in the kingdom. But as that widow understood, we who have been forgiven are also expected to forgive. So do not come to this table if you are still harboring anger or the desire to get back at someone who has hurt you, because Jesus does not allow that at his party. And believe me, this is one party you don't want to miss.